it does not seem to matter who I talk to, whether it is a social worker or a teacher or a parent or a lawyer or a doctor, it seems as though all of us will answer the question, how you doing? Similarly, 90% of the time when I say, how you doing? Do you know what I hear people say? Busy. It might be like, doing good, busy. Fine, kind of busy, but we wear busy kind of like a trophy. We uh, see it like our ability to withstand stress is like a mark of real character. The busier we are, it seems the more important we see ourselves, the more important we perceive others will see us. We're so busy and so proud to be busy. We wear busyness almost like a badge of honor. And we've said it before here, you do not have to be a follower of God in the way of Jesus. You don't have to be a Christian to be getting a spiritual formation. Everybody is being formed all the time. And one of the catechisms of our culture is this, time is money. Time is money. Our culture has trained us to believe that time is money. So when somebody's really short on time, oh, I'm so busy, really short on time, but has a lot of money, we say that person is rich. But if somebody is really, like, has so much time, but very little money, we say that person is poor. Because catechism of our culture has taught us to think time is money. So this is very American, but it is not very Christian. Do you know the Chinese word for busy is made up of two characters, heart and killing? The Chinese pictograph for busy is heart and killing. To be busy is to kill our hearts but we wear it like a badge of honor. We act like exhaustion is a mark of real character. Thomas Merton says this, there's a pervasive form of contemporary violence, and that is activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. We need true rest. And that is what this series is all about. In this series, we're talking about the Christian practice of Sabbath keeping, but every single major world religion emphasizes rest somewhere. This is not just a Christian practice. Every single major world religion will talk about the importance of rest. And I wonder if of all the series that we do this year, if this one might be the most revolutionary because it's so countercultural. 
everything about the practice of Sabbath keeping is a resistance to the always on, always producing, always productive culture of now that we are swimming in and being formed by all the time if we're not being formed otherwise. So today we want to kick off the series talking about three things. The word Sabbath, the seventh day, and God's rest. So first, the word Sabbath. Uh, The word Sabbath is the Hebrew word Shabbat. And we first see this word in the creation story in Genesis 2. We read this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested Shabbat from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So Hebrew scholars will tell us that the first time a word is used in the Bible, the first time the Hebrew word shows up is the most important. Do you know the first time the word holy shows up is in this passage we just read in Genesis 2? The first time God declares something holy in Scripture, he does not say this temple is holy, this sanctuary is holy, this tabernacle. That's not the first usage of the word holy. He also does not first say, these people are holy, my people are holy. God does not say this work is holy. The first time the word holy is used, it is not because of a holy work or space or people. The first time the word holy is used, God is talking about time. The seventh day is holy. The day of rest is holy. The first time we see this word kadash, God is speaking of time. First and foremost, God calls the seventh day holy. The Sabbath day is the only thing said to be holy in the entire book of Genesis. Now, God commanded us to work, and he commanded us to rest. And often we think of those as opposites. But really, they are very interrelated. They're counterparts. In this fabulous little book called The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel, he says this, just as we are commanded to keep the Sabbath, we are commanded to labor. It's almost as if there are these two arenas that we play in. One is the arena of space. The other is the arena of time. So there is a realm of space where you work and create and you rearrange matter for flourishing. This is the realm of space. And then there is the realm of time. And this is the realm, the realm of time, that we are encouraged all the time to ignore in the pursuit of more. Because if time is money, and money is the most important, then just give all your time to get more money, to get more things, to keep rearranging space and put all your energy there. But Heschel says this, to gain control of the world of space, certainly that is one of our tasks. The danger begins when in gaining power in the realm of space, we forfeit all aspirations 
in the realm of time. I love this next line. There is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. Life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisition of things of space, becomes our sole concern. There is a realm of time, and it is called Sabbath time, where the goal is not to have, but to be. So to embrace Sabbath is to embrace these periods of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Let's talk about the seventh day for a minute. Uh, in Hebrew, we just said, the first time that a word gets used, super important. Another thing that's important, repetition. And in the creation story, there is a phrase that is repeated over and over. The seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. It's said three times in this section of scripture. In fact, it is the only day of the creation story that is repeated. This last day of creation, this day that God rested, is the day that gets repeated. So what's the significance of that? Okay, to understand this, we got to do, uh, we need a little understanding of ancient Near Eastern, just the background of literature. And so track with me for just a minute on this. The ancient world, there were stories, narratives that were outside of the Bible. Narratives about deities, and those deities would always be seeking rest. They were restless beings, these deities. They were always portrayed as restless beings in pursuit of rest. So many ancient creation narratives outside of the Bible are primarily driven by this deity's pursuit of rest. And the way that they attain rest is they build a temple. They build a temple, and there they go and rule and rest. So in Ugaritic mythology, Baal is one of these who takes seven days to construct a sanctuary, a temple. In Sumerian literature, same thing. Seven days are taken to build a temple where this deity will rest. So deities would rest in temples in the ancient world. And in the construction of these temples, it would be a seven-day story. So it is no wonder that God created the world and rested within it over a seven-day period because the earth was created to be God's temple. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth was created to be God's temple. And God's rest on the seventh day of creation is the equivalent to being enthroned it is connected to this idea of taking up his role as the sovereign ruler over the whole cosmos, over the whole of creation. So God's rest on the seventh day is the beginning of his work of ruling over creation. God rules the world from his temple. What's his temple? Creation is his temple. And he rests on the seventh day. On the seventh day, he rests and begins his constant rule. 
Okay, so one way of thinking about this. Sabbath, temple. The Sabbath is to time what the temple is to space. Both of them are cutting out a piece of that domain, space or time, and declaring it as special to God. The temple is cutting out some of space and saying this is specially dedicated space to God. Sabbath is cutting out time and saying this time is specially dedicated to God. Now we do that as a reminder, as a practice that all of it belongs to God. It's a reminder that all of space and all of time belongs to God. So Sabbath, Sabbath is about you and I building a sanctuary in time. Just like you would put intention and thought and creativity into your work of building something in space, whether that was building a home or building something at work, in the same way, we become architects of time, building a sanctuary in time. It's about setting aside a period of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Sabbath is a way of being in time where you remember what is most important. You remember who you are, what you are here for. You remember God's constant presence with you. Okay, let's talk about God's rest. Sabbath is more than just like taking a day off work so that we can run errands and catch up on Netflix. It's the presence of something that grows when a period of time gets constant consecrated to the beautiful and the nourishing and the true. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when someone gets a terminal illness, when someone is diagnosed with cancer, when someone gets the pneumonia, and they get very sick, sometimes, of course, there is the, the pain and the wanting to move out of that season, and sometimes the fear connected to that diagnosis. But sometimes, strangely and surprisingly, right alongside is some relief. Like, finally, I can get off that hamster wheel. Finally, I can take a little break from the always on, always producing, always productive expectations I and others have placed on my life. And then if that person goes on and become, starts to get better, what's the first question we ask? When will you be back? So it's like cancer becomes our sabbatical. And the invitation of Sabbath is to rest, receive the rest of God, and to rest before you need to rest to rest before our bodies force us to rest. And this is such a gift to build a sanctuary in time because life is hard. And this world, it is hard on our souls. And when you carve out Sabbath, 
you are carving out a space where you remember that there is a kingdom and you are not in charge of it. And you can rest and eat and drink and be merry. In Jewish culture, there's a phrase, uh, it is a sin to be sad on the Sabbath. Because the thought is, this is when we enter the rest of God. Sabbath is an invitation to God's rest. Uh, One of the phrases that gets repeated in the story of creation is, there was morning, there was evening each day. There was morning, there was evening the first day. Morning, evening, second day. Morning, evening, third day. And when we get to the seventh day, we are expecting the author, likely Moses, to say that again. But he does not. He does not say that on the seventh day. There was no end to God's rest on the Sabbath. There is no end to God's rule. And so we enter it. It is always, therefore, available to us because it never ends. So I want to encourage you in this series, in Sabbath, in carving out a sanctuary in time. I want to encourage you to be an architect of time, to build for yourself a sanctuary in time. You know, for Jewish people, it often begins on Friday night when they see the first three stars in the sky until Saturday night. That is Shabbat. But for you, the Sabbath might begin on Saturday night, the meal with family and friends. It might begin on Sunday morning right here. It might begin when you carve out a morning where you wake up and say, this chunk of time from wake up until noon is dedicated to rest. Heschel says this, time and space are interrelated. To overlook either of them is to be partially blind. What we plead against is man's unconditional surrender to space, his enslavement to things. We must not forget that it is not a thing that lends significant to a moment. It's a moment that lends significance to things. So here's what I want you to do. Carve out a time. When will you rest? Would you set a time? And then secondly, what will you rest from? Set a time when you will rest, and then decide what you will rest from. And if this is helpful to you, here's a little practice. You could create a Sabbath box. And literally, if you carve out, say, from when you wake up Friday morning till noon or from one o'clock on Friday till one o'clock on Saturday, whatever the time is you carve out, if it would be meaningful to you, maybe get a Sabbath box and think about what you will put in this box to rest from during that period of time. So we carry these things around with us. Of course, most common we think about is work. So whatever you do for work, we're saying work during this period of time I will rest from putting it in the Sabbath box. If you are a student, maybe you would say, I am going to put my studies in the Sabbath box. I'm going to rest from studying the books going in the Sabbath box for this period of time. Uh, How about this one? The phone. Perhaps 
the greatest barrier to intimacy with Jesus at this time and place? What if you were to say, for these four hours, eight hours, 24 hours, my phone is going in the Sabbath box. I am taking a rest. Maybe for you, it's like movement. You're constantly moving. And maybe for this period of time that you set, you say, I'm not going to drive. If I go anywhere, it will be three miles an hour, the pace at which I walk. Maybe you put your keys in the Sabbath box. Um, maybe for you, it's a credit card. Like you say, for this period of time, I will rest from using the credit card. I will not be constantly buying things online and getting caught into going in the Sabbath box. I will rest from it. I Maybe it is. I asked Tim before this sermon if he had any cash. This is real cash. This is real money. This is a real wad of money. I asked him, do you have this for a sermon illustration? So maybe for you, it is just spending. And you just say, like, for this period of time, you know what? The cash, the money, it's going in the Sabbath box. I was reading this story about Sister Gilchrist. She's a nun at the Abbey of the Mississippi. And her job, of course, all the nuns have jobs at the Abbey. Her job is to cook and to take care of the land. And I was reading this story about how she just delights in going out, picking the herbs, coming back, chopping them up, serving that wonderful smell and taste to the sisters at the Abbey. And one year, she said that the sisters decided we should really bring in a consultant to tell us how to garden more efficiently and sustainably. So they brought in a consultant, and the consultant said this to them. You are letting these cattle trample all over this land. We recommend that you take the cattle and you allow them to graze and to fertilize in just one area and let the rest of the land rest. And then after that period of time, move them over here and let this period of, this section of land rest. So they did this very thing. And two years later, Sister Gilchrist goes out into these fields at the abbey and she is walking around. Not only does she see the herbs that she always has seen and loves, but she sees like half a dozen new ones that seem to have just sprung up miraculously. And these grasses, tall grasses, begin to grow. And they are so nourishing to the cattle that they stop feeding the cattle supplemental corn because the grasses that are growing naturally are more than nourishing for the cattle. Now, where did these herbs Half a dozen extra herbs come from. Where did these tall grasses come from? They appeared from within the earth. Like the seeds had already been embedded in the soil. But because they were always trampled underfoot, all that relentless activity by the cows, they were never able to grow. They were never able to grow into fullness. And when the land and the seeds were given the necessary Sabbath, the necessary rest, then what happened was the earth 
on its own brought forth these seeds naturally and easily. And here's the thing. What is true for fields is true for our lives. Like There are some things inside of you that cannot grow when they are constantly trampled underfoot. So may we together embrace the rest of God and see what takes root and what grows that is already right there. We're going to pray together now, and the band's going to come up, and I want to just give us a moment of silence to think about what time and what might I rest from. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this gift of Sabbath. You have said man is not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath is made for man. That it is made for us as a gift. God, would you show us what it would look like to practice living from your Sabbath rest more often, to carve out spaces of time, to not succumb to the violence that is to be enslaved to too many things, but to learn what it might look like to walk with you, to live with you, and to be nourished in your kingdom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.